I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 128 in which gasp I actually touched my sewing machine and I'm recording this on Saturday, July 6th, 2013 and I want to start out by saying thank you so much for listening and thank you especially for your patience because yes, I know once again time has slipped by. You know, I should really, I've been thinking a lot about this um, Lately, I know that Sandy of Quilt Cabana Corner, in the past anyway, has taken summers off because her kids are home and and she um, chooses not to podcast during the summer. And I've always thought, you know, I should really probably consider doing that. This year I'm thinking I really should have probably considered doing that. Um, You know, it's just I've posted a blog post about this a few days ago. This is just a really, really intense time for me work-wise. But I'll be talking a little bit more about that as we get into the Sandy update part of the podcast. So um, time has slipped by since my last episode. I hope that's given you a lot of time to listen to my interview with Jane Dunewald, which was the last um, episode that I posted. Um, Oh gosh, it must have been close to three weeks ago now, I think. It really was an, an excellent conversation, and I hope you have listened to it. And again, take some time to share your own thoughts about the conversation. I've gotten a few comments from folks um, but I also know a lot of people like me are behind on our podcast listening because summer does get busy. Uh, so, you know, those golden, lazy, hazy days of summer, I don't know where they are. They've never been part of my life. <laughs> Just summer, to me, tends to be busier than any other time of the year. Um, so anyway, in this episode, I'm going to give you a Sandy update. I'm going to tell a few stories from my travels because it was an experience um, and a little bit of recent family update. Um, and then I will be talking about some sewing because as the title of this episode would suggest, I have actually gotten back to my sewing machine. And in fact, I had thought about putting a, out a podcast last weekend, but chose instead to actually touch some fabric. So I hope you will forgive me for um, resetting my priorities in my life. So here's the conversation. Let's get on with this. Um, last or two weekends ago now, uh, the last weekend of June, I was, I'm sorry, the second to last weekend of June, I guess. Um, I was away for work. I was flying to Kansas city and we flew in Wednesday and I came home that following Monday. Um, don't remember the exact dates. I think it was something like June 23rd, something like that. I think the Friday was the 25th. Uh, flying there, so I'm flying from my small little Rochester airport to the small little Kansas City airport, which is actually bigger than my Rochester airport, I think, although it might also just be differently arranged. I'm sorry. I hope nobody from Kansas City gets offended by this, but you have the weirdest airport I've ever been in. That Kansas City airport, MCI, it's just weird. But anyway, so I, I, this is not my first time flying there. I've flown there a few times as we were getting ready for this particular set of events. And I think almost every time I've gotten delayed um, at, at some point in this trip. Well, this trip, I showed up to the Rochester airport. My flight was supposed to leave at 1021 in the morning. Um, 
and I was supposed to get into Kansas City, I think around 2.30 or so. So I show up to the airport, and I had already checked in, but I had a bag to check. Okay, here's my thing about flying. I hate, hate with a passion dragging my suitcase through the darn airport, especially because you always end up delayed somewhere and you're always speed walking or sprinting and having that stupid suitcase to drag with you. So I do myself the favor, and yes, I pay for my bag to be checked. I also hate having everybody try to cram them into the overhead compartments and then you're sitting there with somebody else's crap, I'm sorry, crud (laughs) under your feet. I, I just, you know, traveling is enough of a Darwinian experiment, survival of the fittest as it is. I do myself the favor of checking my bag. So um, I, that's all along, sorry, side trail. So I'm standing in line. And as I come forward, I, I'm looking at this line to get up to the ticket counter. And I'm thinking, wow, what is going on at nine o'clock on a Wednesday morning in Rochester? This is not normally a busy time, folks. It's normally, you know, I'm kind of used to the crickets in the background, <laughs> just not hearing much. There's this huge line. So I get up and I get in line and I'm just kind of flipping through my email on my phone, just checking to see if I've heard from anybody else I'm supposed to be meeting that afternoon at the airport because I was supposed to be meeting another woman and then we were both getting picked up by a third woman that was driving in. Um, And so I'm flicking through my email and all of a sudden I see this email that says, your flight has been canceled. And you could see that, okay, so... I do always try to find the entertainment factor in these kinds of things because you travel enough, you get used to delays. It's not worth getting upset over, really. You just end up making yourself more miserable. So the the thing I found very entertaining at that moment was at the same time, the look must have passed across my face of, what are you telling me? I look up and I can see about six other people in this line all staring at their phones at the same time with that same expression. <laughs> So you could tell we had all gotten the notification at the same time. We all kind of look at each other like, you know, deer in headlights. And so I flipped through and the next email that I got, you know, within 30 seconds said I'd already been rebooked on a flight at 1140 a.m. And so I thought, okay, great. I sent a couple of texts to the people I was supposed to be meeting and said, no problem, you know, I'm delayed, but it's not a huge issue. I'm just coming in a little bit after the person that I thought I was coming in before now, but we're still all good. So I get all this settled, and and I relax. I figure, okay, well, I'm rebooked, you know, not a problem. So I'm slowly making my way through this line, getting closer and closer to the ticketing agent so I can give them my um, suitcase. And everybody in the line has now gotten word that this flight has been canceled, and chaos has just ensued. I mean, it's not that anybody's... I've got to give all of my fellow travelers kudos because nobody was getting angry. Nobody was taking it out on anybody else. I mean, there were people that were upset because they had to now shuffle around plans. The biggest issue was um, people that were going on international flights because there weren't that many options for them to get rebooked. But as we got closer to the ticketing agent, we finally start hearing what the problem had been. It was a relatively small flight. I mean, all of us standing in line, we're all on the same flight. Um, There were probably, what, 40, 50 people. I mean, it's a smallish plane. Turns out, The pilot had gotten sick, and they had no backup pilots, so they just canceled the flight. That's life in small airports. So then I finally, you know, as I'm approaching the counter, um, or I I guess I'm still in line, and I turn around, a woman behind me is getting progressively more upset because I I think I got the impression that she was actually flying to China, and either her daughter, because she looked older to me, 
um, either she was meeting her daughter, somebody was picking up babies in China. <laughs> she had adopted twins. It was either her going to pick up her babies or she was going to go fly with her daughter to pick up babies. I hadn't picked this, you know, didn't get the whole story. And I'm not the type that's going to turn around and ask. So I'm just sort of hearing what she's saying to other people. So she says something to me and I turn around um, to talk to her. First time I've kind of turned backwards. And as I'm talking to her, I happen to glance at the guy standing behind her. And it turns out it's a good, good, good friend of mine that I haven't seen um, to talk to other than at region events and stuff for a couple of years. He and I are now both going to the same conference. So we give each other big hugs. Now we're kind of goofing around in line. And, and he's this very outgoing, gregarious, extroverted person. So he's got everybody in line laughing. And we're all, you know, he brings the, the tension level right down. Um, so now we're kind of joking around. He had not yet gotten rebooked. So he keeps telling me, so, you know, why are you special? Why do you get rebooked? I'm like, well, because I'm just that special. You know, I'm, I'm a unique person and the airplane really, or the um, airline really wants to take care of me. Well, I get up to, you know, it's now my turn with the ticketing agent. She, I held out my cell phone that said, okay, they say I'm rebooked. So she goes in the computer. Oh yeah, you're rebooked. No problem. She starts printing off my tickets and the second one won't print off. The first ticket, which is my leg, I think I was supposed to go to, through Detroit, Printed off fine. She could not get the second one to print. Couldn't get the second one to print. So now my friend Mike is giving me, you know, harassment <laughs> from behind me in line. I said, well, apparently I'm not quite that special anymore. <laughs> the computer won't, you know, print off my ticket. Um, finally, she looks at the screen, scratches her head, clicks another couple of buttons. She goes, oh, well, this ticket is for 1140 a.m. tomorrow. And <laughs> I just looked at her and I said, Okay, that is so not going to work. I've got stuff I got to get done tomorrow. And I'm the staff for this event. So if I don't show up, they don't have half of the information that they need to run this event. So, you know, I said, no, we got to get me there tonight. I don't care how, I don't care when, we've got to get me there tomorrow, tonight. So she starts looking. I don't know what was going on on that day in Rochester. All flights out of there were booked solid, except for one flight that night so we got um myself and by then my friend had gotten up to the counter next to me so she said to me um oh i found a flight it's got a couple of extra seats i said can you get my friend on that same flight because we're going to the same place so then we both ended up on the same flight flying out at 5 30 that afternoon so then we you know we're kind of looking at each other again this is like nine o'clock in the morning and mike is saying well should we you know go for lunch somewhere do you want to just head back home for a few hours but he lived way across the city i live only about 10 minutes away from the airport but i said the problem is we're not actually we had gotten sort of checked in on that flight but not really so then we had to actually go check in on the flight and i said once you've done that you're really not supposed to leave the airport <laughs> So we had to go check in on that other flight and then sit in the Rochester airport for eight hours <laughs> waiting to take off. Now, you know, I I just looked at that as a gift that now I'm able to sit with my friend Mike. And we talked for the first four hours. We talked pretty much solid catching up on our, our wives, our, our, our spouses, our kids, all that kind of stuff. I have known him and his family for years his wife actually was a friend of my sister's in seminary, so she started hanging out at my family's house when I was growing up, when I was in high school. So I knew her for years first, and then um, met him later when he and I served on a region committee together for about 15 years, 12 years, something like that. Um, so our kids grew up together, whole nine yards, you know, this is a, a lifelong friendship, pretty much. 
Uh, so it was really good to be able to cut, catch up with him. And we had a lot of fun. We did also individually, you know, kind of like I took off and took some walks around the airport just to keep my blood pumping. And he went and checked, used my laptop to check his email and stuff. So, you know, we we didn't spend that entire eight hours just talking to each other because we would have driven each other nuts. Um, so, but by the time we did finally get to Kansas City and then so we get in at 10 o'clock that night. Fortunately, we didn't have any problems with connections. We get in at about 10 o'clock, 10.30 that night, and he had already made arrangements for some other mutual friends of ours who now lived in Kansas City, which I didn't know, to come pick us up. So they picked us up at the airport um, and then drove me 40 minutes outside to where my hotel was, which I was extremely grateful for, because otherwise I would have been grabbing a taxi. But I told him at that point, okay, I'm done with you for like six years now. You know, we, we spent this eight hours together. We've pretty much covered every subject under the sun at this point, And yeah, I don't need to see you for another six years. Um, that being said, it, one thing that did come out of it is I'm now preaching at his church <laughs> next September. So I will be seeing him again. Um, but in any case, so that was a nice way to spend that delay getting in. Um, and fortunately, again, because he then had already made arrangements to get picked up, I was able to piggyback on his arrangements and get a ride to the hotel. So it, it did ultimately work out okay. Um, so then the weekend that we're there, uh, the first big event, Friday afternoon, we have one of our big national women's events. And it's just a one-day event. But we had um, something like 250, 260 women coming in for this event. And I was the one that had done all the logistics. I had worked with the team leader who had planned the event to take care of, do we have all the equipment we need? Do we have all the details? You know, all the logistical location kind of stuff. And I had had to work through somebody else to do all of that AV stuff. Normally, I make my own arrangements. But in this case, because it was part of a large denominational thing, there was somebody else that was coordinating everything. So I was just sending her my lists. Well, she never sent back any sort of confirmation that said, okay, here's the list of what I've actually got coming for you from the hotel. We just turn in our wish list, and then we kind of assume it's going to be there. Yes, I am setting you up <laughs> for a problem. So we get there. The event's Friday. We get there Thursday. We have a local arrangements committee. So there's like 10 women that are from local area, from the Kansas area, who come in and help us do things like stuff, the registration packets and decorate various things and all sorts of other stuff. So we've got this crew there working on Thursday in the space where we're going to be on Friday. And I'm looking up at the staging and stuff. And I had been told uh, there was nobody else that was going to be in there before our event from Thursday morning until our event. So I'd been told, oh, it'll be all set up by Thursday night so that you guys can go in and do anything you need to do with stage decorations. And I'm looking and I'm saying, that's not our setup. That's not what we'd requested. We had, I'm going to try to make this a short story, but it's, it's illustrating a point. We had requested a single screen. We were bringing in our own projector because you pay an arm and a leg for those things. And then we had requested two microphones to be, um, two boom mics or the, the type with the long swing arms to be up front at the two electric pianos. There's a podium with a mic. And then we had requested one other mic on a stand on the stage. Keep this in mind. That's all I requested. Two mics, the podium mic, and a stand mic on the stage. So I'm getting up there. There's no microphones anywhere to be found. There's two screens, um, and I'd only requested the one. And it's clearly set up for dual projection, two projectors, and I only had one. So I finally, you know, it's about 6 o'clock. I'm finally starting to think, I'm not sure 
if they are coming into setup tonight, so I need to track this down. So I go find somebody from our um, connections who then goes and finds somebody from the hotel. So she comes in, the person from the hotel comes in and looks at me and she goes, no, this is your setup. And I said, it absolutely is not. We only requested one screen and I'm only paying for one screen. And so she kind of keeps saying, no, no, this is what was on. And I said, no, it's not on the list. This is not what I'd requested. So she goes and gets her notebook and she flips through the notebook. And she looks at our little request list, which was, you know, a a thumb at the size of maybe an inch compared to everybody else's event request list. That a bunch of stuff. We had about an inch worth of stuff. And she looks at it. And sure enough, it only says one screen. So she's looking at it. She says, well, the next event that's coming in after you has two. So tell you what. I'll give you the two screens comp. And I said, well, I've only got one projector coming in. She goes, we'll comp you the two projectors. I'm like, great. (laughs) Okay, fine. We can do that. So then I said, well, what about the microphones? I don't see any microphones set up. And she said, well, what did you request? And I said, we had two standing mics, one podium, one stand mic on the stage. And she said, well, that's what you have. And I said, there's no mics here. And she goes, well, no, those are all them over in the corner. And I look and there's this kind of wash of mics, but none are the right ones we'd requested. So I I keep kind of poking. I said, no, that's not what we requested. And so she finally goes back and she gets her tech guy. And he comes out and they're both looking at me. And I said, okay. And he says, so what did you request? I said, I want two boom mics on the electric piano. We need the podium mic. And then we've got one standing mic. And he's saying, so he starts asking me about the mics on the piano and we're going back and forth and the, and the woman's saying, and so you, you need the, the two mics there, the one podium, the one, and then you need the three in the audience. And I said, no, I need two boom mics, one podium, one stand mic. And he and I are talking back and forth about the two going on the electric piano again. And she, st- she interrupts again. She goes, no, no, wait, I need to clarify this. I said, okay. She said, you need the two mics, the one, the one, and then the three in the audience. And I said, no, this is not what I asked for. And and I look at the list and sure enough, well, there's the, the mics I had requested were listed on there, but then also a lapel mic, which I had not asked for. So then I said to her, okay, here's the list. Here's what I wanted, but I don't want that lapel mic. So she said, okay, well, we can take that off. And she looks at me and she again, again, and she says, so you want the two stand mics, the podium mic, the stand mic on the stage, and then three in the audience. And I was, I was like, no, I don't know. She had in her head somewhere. She had the scenario in her head where we had three mics in our audience and she was determined to give us those three mics in our audience, no matter how many times I said, no, I don't want three mics in the audience. And it just, I went back to, I was talking to my roommate later and I said, have you ever had one of those things where you have an image in your head of the way something's supposed to be? And no matter what somebody tells you, is it's really supposed to be, you can't get beyond that image in your head. You know, we've all had that experience. And that's what this woman had. She had this image in her head and it didn't matter. I mean, I couldn't have said it any more clearly. We need the two stand mics, the two boom mics on the pianos, one podium, one stand mic. And I'm literally, and I'm doing it right now as I'm talking to you, I'm pointing exactly where I needed those. And I, it was at least six times that she came back to me and kept saying, and three in the audience. No, I do not need three in the audience. Now, the guy was with me. The first time he said, well, I'm three of the audience, right? And, the, and I was like, no, 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 that's it. But as soon as I clarified it, he was with me. She just could not get beyond this image she had in her head. We finally, after about 10 minutes of this, got that straightened out, got rid of that. No mics are showing up in the audience. I'm getting the four mics I want. 
So then we have some tables in the back of the room that are going to be outside the room right now. We're using them as uh, to stuff the registration packets, but in the morning we were planning on moving those outside so that they would serve as registration tables. But in this conversation about two projection t- uh, things, I said, well, that means I'm going to need a table for my projectionist, for her laptop and all that kind of stuff. And the woman looks at me, and I could tell from the look on her face, my, I just thought, oh, crap, here we go again. And she looks at me, and she goes, well, you have four tables. I said, no, those four tables are going to be outside. I need a fifth table. I need it there. The guy immediately said, oh, okay, yeah, we'll get that. We'll comp it for you. The woman said, but you have four tables. <laughs> so I start going around again with her. I'm like, no, those four tables will not be there. I will need a fifth table. And so that one, finally, I think she kind of realized what she was doing and she settled herself down and actually listened to me. But when I went back to the rest of my crew, once I was done with them and they left to do whatever they needed to do, and I went back to all the women I'd been working with, I just kind of was shaking my head. And my supervisor was there, Virginia, and she said, so what are we going to end up with? And I said, God only knows. (laughs) I said, I'm just really hoping that we have the two mics, the one mic, one mic and the one table well sure enough the next day the the mics were all there um but no there was no table they had to go in and get me one and i think we ended up getting charged for it which they had said they would comp us so we're still trying to straighten that out but that was just one of those moments that i was like you know how many more times can i say we need two boom mics one podium one stand mic and that's it stop adding mics you know um it was just that was my high entertainment i think of the week it could have been very frustrating but it was just so surreal to me it was very funny and i probably just spent way too long on that story um so here was a really cool story that came out of the weekend this one just still blows my mind um I probably talked way back in my first year of doing this podcast because it was a little bit more recent then. In 2008, I had the opportunity of taking a trip to Thailand um, to visit with some other ministry colleagues of mine, uh, some of the refugee camps of people from Burma who were still at that point escaping Burma, um, taking refuge in Thailand and eventually being relocated to the United States and Australia, other countries, um, but a lot to the United States. And of course, We have a lot of people from Burma now in our churches, which is a whole other story, which I won't get into now because that's like another hour-long presentation that I used to do on a regular basis. Um, But anyway, because we're in this relationship with refugees from Burma here in the U.S., several of us had gone to Thailand to visit some of the camps so that we could have a better understanding of where they had come from, what the relocation process was, etc. While I was there at one of the camps, at Upiam Camp, which is a little bit more south in Thailand, um... We had myself and another woman and then one of our uh, missionaries who was leading the trip had kind of uh, siphoned off from the rest of the group because we had walked right by the Korean Women's Organization office and being in women's ministries, I really wanted the opportunity to talk with the women that were in that office and that wasn't part of what the plan had been for the day. So since the missionary who was leading this tour was with me and said, oh, sure, I'll take you in there, I thought, okay, we're just going to leave the rest of the group to do what they're doing. And so the three of us sat and talked with the Korean Women's Organization, and I asked a lot of questions, and the the missionary interpreted, because he knows how to speak Korean, and um, learned a lot, which is, it was a great, we were only there about 15 minutes, learned a great, um, a lot about their organization, and shared with them some about what I did. It was a wonderful experience. Then as we're walking back to try to catch up now with the rest of the the group, we walk by one of the schools in the um, camp, 
and there's all these school kids running around. School was not actually in session. I think they had probably just released for the day, maybe. Um, but all these little groups of boys kept running up to me. Every time they saw me pick up my camera to take a picture of something, they all crowded around, you know, take our picture, take our picture. So I've got all these pictures of boys. And then I finally said, okay, enough boys. There was this little, this group of four little girls looked to be maybe fourth, fifth, sixth grade, somewhere in that neighborhood. And they were standing there very shyly kind of holding off to the side. And I said, can I take your picture? And they, you know, giggled and kind of put their faces behind their hands. But then they let me take their picture quick. And then they went running off and giggling and never saw them again. Um, Well, that picture has become one of my favorite pictures from that trip. And for this Women's Day event, we had we have a program book, and I had used that image in the program book for this particular um, page. And um, we had, at Women's Day, a Corinne group, because this is a big 200th anniversary of our mission with Burma and the relationship, so there's all these celebrations going on. So we had a group of Corinne women from one of the local churches in Kansas were singing in the choir for our um, Women's Day. So my supervisor comes up to me during a break and she says she's got a program book. She said, now, did you take this picture? And she's pointing to the picture of the four schoolgirls. I said, yeah, I took that when I was in Thailand. She goes, she points to one of the girls. She said, she's here. She is here now. She's in the choir. And I was like, you are kidding me. And I went running up and she introduced me to the girl. And it was just the most mind-blowing insane experience um that i've had i mean it's yes we all talk about the small world thing um in my world that's also a god thing uh but just to be able to meet this girl and talk with her a little bit and learn a little bit about where she's at now compared to when i saw her you know there in the in the camp and um so we gave her hugs we've got pictures with her now i took a picture with her holding that picture in her lap (laughs) And I've got to send her the picture so she's got the original. But I also can't help but think, what did it feel like for her to be in this, you know, kind of context? She's never been with these women before. I mean, she's been in the country now for a few years. So that's not, you know, kind of, it's not like this is totally foreign to her anymore. But to be in this context where she doesn't know any of the women that she's there with, she's coming in as part of a choir from her church, but that's this larger group. And then to see a picture of herself as a child, you know, that, that had to have been something for her as well. Um, so uh, that was just, uh, that made the whole weekend worth it to me. Almost made me forget about the incident the night before with the two boom mics, one podium mic, <laughs> one stand mic. Um, it was just phenomenal. I, I mean, I still get chills when I think about it. So that was just a really, really cool moment um, in the weekend. Uh, and then the rest of the weekend was very good. Had some neat stuff happen. Got to spend some time with some friends that I only ever see um, at our biennial meetings. Uh, and then my flight home. So I was supposed to take a flight out of MCI, out of Kansas City, Monday morning. Um, My original flight was at something like 1045 in the morning, and I was supposed to be home at about 4.45, somewhere in there. Uh, But I got to the airport at 5 o'clock in the morning because my roommate and I were sharing a cab to save expenses, and her flight was a 6.30 or 7 o'clock flight. Now, mind you... Just to make things even more fun, Sunday night into Monday morning, there was a major power outage in the area, and so the hotel alarms all started going off, and there was this broadcasted announcement at 3 o'clock in the morning saying, 
don't panic, there's a power outage, we're working to restore power, and I'm thinking you just woke us up to tell us not to panic. <laughs> it would have been a lot better if you just let us sleep. Um, but they had a wedding in the building and stuff, so they probably, you know, by law have to do that. Um, so anyway, now, you know, my roommate and I are both wide awake at three o'clock, knowing that we have to wake up at four anyway. So do you think either of us got back to sleep? Of course not. So when we get up at four, um, we're taking showers by, I turned on my little mag light on my iPad, uh, on my iPhone. So that was the light we were working by in the room. Fortunately, she took her shower first and then I took my shower. And then when I was getting out of my shower, the lights came back on. So we were able to, you know, finish packing and everything, get out the door, and then the elevators don't work, and we're on the fifth floor. So we're hauling our luggage down five flights of stairs, which I all I could say is good thing we all, you know, either of us only had one carry-on size suitcase. We weren't carrying a bunch of stuff. So we're going down these side stairs, and first couple of levels we see signs that say lobby this way, lobby this way. Well, suddenly we stop seeing any signs for lobby, and we see signs for P1 and P2. And I'm thinking that normally means parking garage. We finally peek our head out one door and we only see the parking garage, no signs of how to get around to the lobby. So we go another level down thinking maybe it's further down, get out. Nope, it's really just the parking garage. There is no way to get to the lobby from the set of stairs. So we finally have to leave. We go out to the parking garage. And when we get out to the parking garage, we realize there's no way out of the parking garage unless you're in a car. Um, there wasn't, there were no sidewalks or anything. You just had to walk on this main road and that would lead you back around and we would have been on roads all the way back into the front lobby. So finally, um, as we're standing there in the parking garage trying to figure out now what to do, there was a security guard taking a cigarette break. <laughs> Fortunately, he came and got us and then led us through the bowels of the Sheridan um, trying to find an elevator that worked. We finally, after the fourth elevator, finally found one that was working and that got us back up to the lobby. Um, and then the taxi was already waiting for us. So we had to kind of shoot out of, you know, checked out and shot out. And I realized much later that they never gave me a receipt. So now I've got to call the hotel and get a receipt for um, our auditors. But anyway, so then we get to the taxi, we get to the airport, it's five o'clock in the morning probably and that's before anything's open um at about 5 30 quarter of six i think the starbucks finally opened so at least i was able to get some coffee uh none of the restaurants opened until eight and then at nine o'clock i find out that my flight's been canceled <laughs> so i go up to the desk i'm like what is it with this airport go up to the desk the only flight he can find because once again everything's booked the only flight he can find for me is flying into Buffalo, which is an hour and some away from Rochester. And it was supposed to get in at 11 o'clock that night. I said, fine, I will take it. I called my daughter. I said, are you going to be able to drive to Buffalo tonight and pick me up? She wasn't thrilled with the idea, but she said she would. Um, so I took that. That meant I was now sitting in Kansas City Airport until 5.30 that night, I think it was supposed to fly out. Mind you, I'd been there since 5 o'clock in the morning. Mind you, this airport is in horseshoes and there's two restaurants and a starbucks and that's really about it <laughs> and i guess a, a quiznos or something in this airport so i ended up spending 12 stinking hours in the kansas city airport get to um dulles because now i'm flying through dulles which i knew was trouble because i've had nothing but trouble in dulles that's in washington dc 
get to Dulles, I think I'm only going to have about 20 minutes to sprint from where I, you know, my arrival gate to my next departure gate. Um, fortunately, they were in the same terminal, so I was able to get there right when I should have been boarding. I go up there, that flight's been delayed. <laughs> I'm like, crud, I can't get home. We finally left Dulles at 1 o'clock in the morning, 1.30 in the morning. I get into Buffalo at 3 a.m. By now, my husband has managed to call and make us reservations at a hotel right across from the Buffalo airport. My daughter, who had already headed for the airport by the time I found out I was delayed, so she didn't want to turn around and go back to Rochester. She just checked into the hotel and waited in the hotel for me to get in. Um, so we finally got in at 3 or I guess 3.30 by the time I finally walked in the front door of the hotel. Um, slept until about 7 and then had breakfast and drove home. So I finally got home at 11.30 on Tuesday morning. Um, so I posted on Facebook, it turns out I can fly to Bangkok faster than I can get home from Kansas City. It was just, it was a brutal trip. Um, so that that took me a few days to recover from, and, and that's why I didn't post. I had intended to get an episode posted shortly after I got home from that trip, so didn't post. Then I, I thought, well, you know, I'll post this week. Well, then this week we ended up hosting my husband's family for a 4th of July party unexpectedly. We were not planning on doing that. Um, it was a whole long chain of miscommunications. Since I'm already so long into this podcast, I won't go into the, all the reasons why it happened. Let's suffice it to stay, say on Monday, I thought we were only having his parents over for dinner by Tuesday evening. Um, I found out we were having several other folks as well, and by Wednesday morning we had thrown in the towel and said, what the hey, in for a penny, in for a pound, everybody come. Um, so we had about, I think it was about 14 people here all together, which is not huge. I mean, I've <laughs> I've thrown bigger parties. It's just I normally like to have a little more notice, and I like not to be working up until, you know, because we didn't have Wednesday off, I didn't have Friday off, um, but it worked out okay. We did okay. And I have a great time with my husband's family, so that was all right. But that just meant I lost all the evenings I thought I was going to have this week to keep sewing. Um, ended up not getting anything done. So I get to today, and I declared yesterday, I said to um, my husband and son, my daughter is just today coming home from the cottage again. I said to my husband and son, don't expect me to do anything this weekend. I'm doing nothing but sewing. Um so I will give you an update on the sewing in a minute. And we're already 33 minutes into this podcast. I apologize. I normally don't do this. I normally don't talk about personal stuff. But there was just that weekend had so much involved in it that I really, I decided I wanted to share. I hope you're okay with that. Um, I do want to give a shout out to my twilters once again. Those, um, the, the quilter community on Twitter, which we refer to as twilters. Um, I'm still giving them kudos for helping me stay focused on my current healthy living kick and trying to lose weight and get to the gym and all of that kind of stuff. They really are very supportive. Um, we all cheer each other on. And on Sunday, I think it was, I tweeted a, um, to everybody, hey, Twilters, is there anybody out there that uses the Fitbit? I thought I remembered that hearing some folks talk about it, but I couldn't remember who. So I just threw the, the call out there. So do you use the Fitbit? Let me know what you think. I'm kind of thinking about it. And um, as conversation ensued, I was looking at one model, ultimately ended up ordering the Fitbit One. Um, 
which had not been my first choice, but after hearing everybody's feedback and, and looking into it, the website's deceiving. Again, I'm not going to go into detail. If you're looking at these and you're curious about my whole process, I'll email you. You know, Email me, I'll let you know. Um, but I ended up with a Fitbit one. I got it on Wednesday. And so these last few days, I've just been using it. And I have been setting myself goals. Um, but mostly at this point, I'm kind of in the measurement assessment phase. I kind of wanted to not change anything I was doing and just see where I ended up at the end of the day naturally in terms of the number of steps, the number of staircases, all those various things it measures. And actually, I realized I was actually doing pretty good. Um, it has not been hard at all for me to meet that 10,000 steps a day goal. Um, probably, I might not do this before my conferences, but maybe once I get back in August, I think I'm going to up my steps per day goal, at least in terms of the days I'm going to the gym, I need to up that goal because when I do 45 minutes on the elliptical, I knock out that 10,000 pretty fast. So um, I need to do a little bit more in order to get more movement during the day. So that's, that's I'm still working on that. But I do like the Fitbit one. Um, just so you know, I did, I am a Weight Watchers person. I do the Weight Watchers program. I go to the meetings. I get a lot out of, um, it helps me stay focused. And I've been, that's part of why I've been so successful is because I've been going to the meetings this time, which I had not been doing before. Um, I had tried the active link. It was not the right tool for me. I am not saying the active link is a bad tool. It is not right for me. I found it demotivating rather than motivating. Um, I found myself getting frustrated and angry <laughs> more than anything and thinking, why should I bother going to the gym anyway? It doesn't give me any credit for it. And as soon as I found myself thinking that, I thought this is not the right tool for me. I've heard a lot of other people talk about the active link who love the active link. So if you are a Weight Watchers person and you're thinking about trying it, try it. That's all I can say. Try it. It might be the perfect tool for you. For me, it was not the right one. Um, I really am enjoying using the Fitbit because it does help me do the kinds of things I wanted the active link to help me do that I wasn't finding myself through the active link. So I've, I've really been liking the Fitbit one. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. And there are several of us who um, are linked up on the Fitbit one website where you can kind of see, you, you choose what you're going to show. It's not like I can see everything that all these other folks are doing. Um, but you can see, I think the steps are what gets counted. Still new at this. Um, ask Kati or Pam or um, Engineer Sandy. The, those are the folks that I'm kind of linked up with. Uh, Tanisha is also on Fit, the Fitbit dashboard, I think. And you, you see each other's uh, rankings in terms of how many steps you've gotten per day. So you can get a little friendly competition there. Um, since I started kind of halfway through a week, I'm lowest on the totem pole, I think. Um, but don't worry, I'll be breathing down your necks pretty soon. I'll be giving you some competition for that top of the leaderboard. All right, sewing. Um, I can tell you what I've been doing. Again, given the, the name of this episode in which I actually touched my sewing machine last weekend, I got a lot done, which felt good. Um, I am I was planning on making two baby quilts for the auction coming up at our summer conferences and dyeing, hand dyeing some silk scarves for that same auction. Um, I got the top and backing piece for the girls version of the baby quilt or if you don't want to be gender specific, the pastel color version of the baby quilt um, last week. And then I'd hoped to get the primary color or boys version done in the evenings this week. That's what got held off once I ended up hosting the 4th of July party, um, but decided I would tackle that this weekend. Well, here's what happened. Um, the This is, again, to recap, this is the Dr. Seuss line of coordinates from, I think, Kaufman 
Fabrics that's based on his book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. And it's a panel that's got several rectangles. I think it's 10 rectangles that are in the neighborhood of like 7 to 11 inches. They're not exactly that, but that's kind of the size of the rectangles. Some of those rectangles have words on them from, you know, lines from the book. Other ones are just pictures. And then there's a set of something like eight or nine coordinating fat quarters to go with it. So with the girls, you know, I had pondered and I've had the fabric, these two kits um, or collections for several months now. I ordered them back in February. So they've been sitting on my shelf for a few months and periodically I'd go on Pinterest or I'd look at other panel quilts and stuff to get some ideas. Well, when it came down to it, I finally decided I just need to do fast and easy. And so... I worked on the girls one first and just cut some of the fat quarters into strips and then put a um, sash to each one of those rectangles. And uh, the only real creative part, if you can even call it creative, is the way I did the different fabric sashings where I placed the different fabrics. Um, other than that, I kept it really simple, sewed it all together, sewed it into the top, used all the rest of the fat quarters from that collection for the backing. So I was able to use every dang last piece. Um, and then I've still got some extra strips from the strips I used for the sashing that I'll be using as binding. Um, so that'll be, I've just got to get it quilted. Well, then today I sat down to do the same, same thing. I decided it turned out pretty cute. I was pretty pleased with the way it looked. I would do exactly the same thing with the boys, with the primary colors. So earlier today, I started to cut those rectangles from the panel so that I could sash them. They were so completely wonked. You could tell looking at it, this this, this thing was painted, uh, printed very, very off square, which is pretty common with panels. I'm not a fan of working with panels for this reason. I've done it a couple times and chose not to ever do it again because they're usually off square. The girls panel, this Dr. Seuss one, I was a little off square, but I was able to trim it up. And because of the way I did the sashing, you really can't tell. There's one that you can see a little bit of an edging sticking out on, but if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it. Um, the boys, I could not get those things to all be the same size without lopping off parts of letters. It was that bad. It was that bad, I kid you not. I was getting so frustrated. And I finally decided, you know what? Nobody's expecting me to make two quilts. For the most part, probably nobody even remembers that I ever said I was going to make one. I could show up with no quilts and nobody would ever be the wiser. I've got one pretty much done. It'll be done, you know, in time. I don't have to do this second quilt. I decided to do myself the favor of releasing myself from that boy's baby quilt. It's, I, I'm just angry that quality control would be that bad. It, it was bad. Oh, this was bad. Um... We're, it was just bad. <laughs> Did I say that before? It was bad. This panel, it was bad. Um, so I I ended up, well, at first I trashed the, the rectangles that I'd cut. I think I'll pull them back out and offer them to, you know, if there's a friend of mine that wants it, you could, you could mess with it with coping strips, probably. Um, you could probably figure out a way to use them. I just don't have time and I don't have the emotional investment. And this is not something I really was thrilled about doing in the first place. Since I've already got one, I'm good to go. So I released myself from that boy's baby quilt. And I'm telling you that not only because I talked about doing two quilts and I feel like you need to know why only one is coming out, but also 
to let you know that I do feel it's okay to release yourself from projects once in a while. I think a lot of times we get into this, you know, if I started, I have to finish it. And that's why we have so many UFOs. Release yourself. If it's something that is just not working for you for whatever reason, and you don't think you would actually learn anything or get anything emotionally out of finishing it, just release yourself. Don't just finish something because you feel like you have to finish it. That's my opinion. So boys, baby quilt, not happening. Um, I do still plan on hand dyeing those silk scarves for the auction. I haven't gotten to those yet. I hope to get to that by the end of the weekend. If not, um, sometime next week, although next week I ended up with two different conference calls and I have my guild meeting. So my evenings are a little bit tight. Um, I did pick up the last of my mother's UFOs. I finally um, got it to the Longhorn Quilter back in February or so. Because I was having it custom quilted and they had a backlog, I said, look, I don't have to have this by any particular time, so take your time. Um, so they, had, um, I got to pick that up last weekend. So I just need to get the binding on that, and I want to get the binding done this weekend so I can take it to my guild show and tell on Tuesday. I haven't had anything for show and tell for a little while. Um, and I still have to get the binding on the disappearing nine patch. I know you've been hearing about that for a while, but I hope to get that done this weekend as well, because that will go to my guild and be handed over to the woman who does, um, takes a lot of our donation quilts and donates them. And then, yes, I have to finish still my Project Hope online quilt show. I was glad to hear, I just, um, listen to Sandy Quilt Cabana Corners, who's my co-host of this Project Hope online quilt show. I just heard her last episode. Yes, I'm a little behind, folks. Sorry. Um, but she mentioned the deadline, which was June 30th. And then she said, but we'll keep taking them, you know, keep posting them, even if you don't get it finished by then. And I'm like, thank you, Sandy, for saying that. because I didn't get mine done by June 30th. Um, I should have known. You know, I knew when we decided June 30th, I thought, oh, that might not work for me. And I, but I was hopeful, but I should have known. Um, but I am still working on it. It has not gotten trashed. I just, I just haven't had energy because my work life has been so insane. So it's been hard for me to get my head around working on stuff in the evenings. So that's where I am. You know, here's 45 minutes of a quilt podcast, and I think I only talked the last 10 minutes about quilting, so I apologize for that. If this is your first episode ever listening to one of these episodes, if you're still with me <laughs> at this point, 45 minutes in, and didn't already ditch, and, and just know that this is not my normal podcast. I normally have a lot more content and a whole lot less life um, going on, but this particular, there were just some stories that had to be told. My next episode will be another interview. I have a conversation with Carol Ann Waugh, who is a another craftsy teacher. She does stupend, the stupendous stitching class, and she also does um, the stitch and slash, stitch and slash, I think is the name of it, um, which I, I have taken both of those classes. I actually finished the stitch and stash, uh, slash class, so if you search back on my blog, you'll find my pictures of what I did. Uh, Nitty AJ has also done both of those. She also finished her stupendous stitching. I have not finished mine yet. Um, and so that was a, a great conversation that I had with Carolyn Wall. So I'm going to be posting that. I will probably um, have that go live mm, maybe in two weeks just trying to space things out because I can guarantee you right now, I'm not getting another episode myself posted until the middle of August. I leave July 23rd and I don't get back until August 5th, I think. Um, and I know the week leading up to my leaving on July 23rd, I'm just going to be completely fried. So this is my last 
uh, episode that I'm actually going to be producing, the interview with Caroline Waugh. The interview's already done, so I'm able to just, you know, throw my intro and outro on there, and I'll be able to post that um, to go live for your listening pleasure while I am off doing other things in Phoenix. Um, listener feedback. I have gotten a lot of comments over these several weeks that I have not, and I also have not done listener feedback for a few weeks. So, you know, I was just looking in my file where I keep all this stuff. It goes back to May. I apologize, folks, that I have not done um, listener feedback in that long. And of course, I cannot now go through and um, respond to everybody from who has left a comment since May. But I do want to make sure I acknowledge the fact that you did leave comments. So I want to say thank you to Lori, Diane, Marissa, Daisy, Shelly. I can never pronounce your names. Turgy? 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 I'm sorry. I know. And I think you told me once how to pronounce it. I am so sorry. Um, my sister, Diane, a different Daisy, the other Daisy, Carol, Jackie, Dorothy, Pat, very lazy Daisy, uh, same Lori, same Lori again, <laughs> a different, not litter diverum Lori, but my friend Lori from Guild, uh, Carol, Kati, Jody, I'm trying to skip the names now who have commented more than once, another Carol, Brenda, Noni, Landscape Lady, who might be another Carol. I think Landscape Lady, I think you come in using a few different names. <laughs> I think you you travel a little incognito online, I think. Um, AJ Dub. C, Sai, S-I-E, I'm sorry. Um, oh, you know what? I know who this is. That's Sue. I met her. Uh, she says, loved meeting you at the GVQC show. Sandy, I can't believe how quickly you got a podcast referencing the show up. Yep, that was back when I was still podcasting on a regular basis. Um, she enjoyed it. She said, quilters are so easy to talk to. Um, I always think about leaving comments, but I rarely do. The problem is I usually listen to co- podcasts when I'm long arming and find it difficult to stop and go comment. Then when I'm done, I've forgotten all about commenting. I understand that. A lot of us listen to podcasts when we're in the car, can't comment then. And then by the time we get home, we've forgotten about it. Um, so I forgive you, Sue. I certainly do understand that you appreciate the podcast. Um, she says, I too am enjoying dying and I'm coordinating a workshop at my guild this fall. She's taken several car- uh, classes with Carol Sutherland, who is a Western New Yorker who is big into hand dyeing. So I hope to take a class with her at some point. Um, so if you ever see the, the name Carol Sutherland floating around, uh, take her class. So thank you, Sue, so much um, for commenting. And uh, yes, it was a lot of fun meeting you. And she left that comment, by the way, on my episode with uh, Wendy Butler Burns. Um, Tori... <laughs> Okay, Tori commented on episode 125, in which I get some stuff done, which was back in May, which was, you know, the last time I got some stuff done. She says, I know the feeling of having an adult child back home as our daughter has graduated from college and is back with us while hunting for a job using her engineering and Spanish skills. We are coping as best we can, especially since her husband lost his job and company car. We are down to one car, but are managing a day at a time. Um, Thank you, Corey, for leaving that comment. And yeah, it has been a readjustment having not only one of my kids, but both of my kids. I now have a full nest. Um, But, you know, they're good kids and they're helpful. And my daughter brings me tea every day while I'm working, so I can't complain. 
Uh, Turgy said, uh, left a comment on episode 125 in which I get some stuff done. She says, I think this is the episode where you mentioned you were working with Heather Thomas's book, Color and Design. I just wanted to say I had the good fortune of taking a year-long class with her here in Colorado, and it transformed how I think about quilting more than any other class I have taken before or since. Several people in my class were taking it for the second time because it is just that good. She wrote and polished the book after teaching the class for several years. It's basically a polished up version of her class handouts and lectures. Many of the photos in her book, other than those of her own creations, were of quilts created by students of her class. I am certain you will love working through the book. It's fantastic. I can't wait to hear what your thoughts are as you get into the lessons. By the way, the monochromatic remains one of my favorites. And monochromatic is the homework I was supposed to have done um, by my last design study group meeting last week, which I ended up having to miss because I didn't get home when I was supposed to. Um, so I'm I'm still, they told me I could still get the monochromatic homework done, so I'm still working on that. And I'm doing it, as I think I mentioned in that episode, um, I'm planning on using my hand dyes as a way to play with monochromatic. I've dyed a bunch of black and gray, and now I'm going to be using... Um, uh, what's the word for it? Discharge. I'm going to be using some discharge stuff to on those blacks and grays to get some visual texture going on. I'm very excited about that, if I can ever get to it. So thank you. Oh, that's where she told me how to pronounce her name. It's not Turgy, it's Terry. <laughs> it could not be easier. Thank you. I knew you had told me somewhere how to pronounce it. Thank you, Terry. Thank you so much for your comment. Okay, um, thank you so much for Kelly. She uh, left a comment on episode 126 in which I talk with Wendy Butler Burns that she's going to be taking a class at the International Quilt Festival, but alas, not with Wendy Butler Burns. Um, She's hoping she can sneak a peek into her classroom. Please, I hope you are able to. Thank you also to St. Powered. I'm sorry, let me scroll down. No, St. Powered, that's her name. That's what she's going by. Thank you so much for your comment. I appreciate that as well. Um, And thank you to Myrna, who commented on my most recent blog post, A Little More Patience, Please. She says, I can't believe you're doing a podcast on fabric dyeing. Back in the mid-60s, I started dyeing fabric. I had a huge cement sink in my garage. I dyed everything that did not move faster than me. (laughs) One day, I was taking out the laundry to hang out to dry, no drier then, and saw my husband's white boxers. Needless to say, he was not a happy camper. I laid the blame of love of dying things to my college years in Berkeley in the early 60s. Now I'll need to go to a 12-step program again. Love to die. Even used vegetables to get some great colors. Out, Off to look up the 12-step program. <laughs> Thank you so much, Myrna. And, you know, I haven't even gotten into the vegetables thing. I'm looking forward to, though, with my CSA, I should be getting beets in... Um, You know, roundabouts, the end of July, beginning of August, somewhere in there, I think is when I might start getting beets, if I remember last year correctly. Um, And so you can bet I'm going to be playing around with some dyeing there using the beets. Uh, Claire said, Kimberly Einmo is coming to VQF 2014. And I'm sorry, I'm not sure what VQF stands for. It is something British. Um, She said, Claire says it was a favorite two years ago, a good New England. Oh, it's not. I'm sorry. Vermont, Vermont Quilt Festival. (laughs) I didn't read your comment. I thought you said a good England destination. She says a good New England destination at the end of June. That's the Vermont Quilt Festival 2014. So look out for Kimberly Imo there if you can make it to um, to that event. 
And I also want to say thank you to Joyce and Sherry and Judy and Christine, Pat, Charlotte, Mary, Chelsea, and Jackie, a different Jackie. Um, all of them subscribe to the Quilting for the Rest of Us blog by email. So thank you so much for doing that. Now I think I'm all caught up on listener comments. And again, I'm sorry I have not been feeding back as fast as I usually do. Um, but thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for commenting. Um, this has been a long episode about a whole lot of nothing. Um, again, never fear. Things will get back to normal soon. And next summer, I should seriously consider just taking the summer off because it is, it's insane for me, work-wise. Um, Thank you for your patience. I will try to get a couple of blog posts up before I'm out of town again to give you something to read. Meanwhile, all of my fellow quilt podcasters are keeping you more than entertained, so I have no worries about that. Um, speaking of fellow quilt podcasters, I do want to give a shout-out to Darla, the scientific quilter, who has chosen to bring her podcast to an end. Completely understand. Um, and you need to, if you have not heard that news just go to her podcast she did post an episode that explains that um thank you darla for doing that so many podcasters simply pod fade and darla wanted to let us know what was going on and, and about her decision so thank you for that darla and thank you for your honesty in in assessing um what your experience with your podcast had been and we did enjoy it well while it was there look forward to seeing you on twitter and in the blogosphere as you're able to do that there is also a new podcast out from Canada. I have not had a chance uh, to check it out yet. Um, I've been to the, the website, but I haven't actually been able to listen to an episode there. But I know Noni has tweeted about it and tweeted a link to it. Um, so if you're curious about that, you could probably just Google Canadian Quilt Podcast and something might come up. Otherwise, check with Noni. She's got the information. Um that's it for this episode. Probably most of you are saying, thank God, <laughs> when will you get back to talking about quilting? Um, again, my next episode will be a conversation with Caroline Waugh, and I'm really looking forward to being able to share that with you. So thanks again for listening. Thank you for your comments. Please do comment. I know I didn't talk to you much about stuff to comment for. So, you know, if I don't hear from you, that's okay. It's summer. We're busy. Um, you know how you can get a hold of me should you choose to do that. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com. You can follow my blog whenever I do manage to post. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, Facebook, um, Thread Bias Craftsy, all of those places. I'm Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Facebook. You can join, please do, the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group, and there's a few other related Flickr groups as well. Um, and you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team. And you will find links to pretty much all of that, I think, at my website, which is www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And I think that's it for this episode. So until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. <laughs> <laughs>